All right, I got some questions to start off for us this morning. Is the future knowable? Will it be good or bad? How do you know this? And why do you think you feel this way and think this way? I'll give you a minute to ponder that. Is the future knowable? Will it be good or bad? Well, these are questions that Peter Thiel, the venture capitalist, answers in one of his books called Zero to One, Notes on Startups and How to Build the Future. In this book, he talks about definite and indefinite thinking. He says you can think about the future in either definite terms or indefinite terms, and this is really going to affect the way that you live your life. He writes, you can expect the future to take a definite form or you can treat it as hazily uncertain. If you treat the future as something definite, it makes sense to understand it in advance and work to shape it. But if you expect an indefinite future ruled by randomness, you'll give up on trying to master it. A definite view, by contrast, favors firm convictions. All right. Then he gives this little two-by-two square. I love these things. These are some of my favorite illustrations. And he talks about definite and indefinite optimists and pessimists. So the indefinite pessimist views the future as scary and bad. It's going to be bad. I just know it's going to be bad. And you ask that person, how do you know it's going to be bad? They're like, I don't know. It's going to be bad. And there's nothing we can do about it. The definite pessimist says, yeah, the future is going to be rough. But here's my plan to mitigate some of the risks and try to overcome these challenges that we're going to face. The indefinite optimist says, the future's going to be awesome. And when asked why, they say, I don't know. It's going to be great. And I'm going to benefit from it. And then the definite optimist says, the future's going to be great. Why? Because I got a plan to make it better. And I'm going to work really hard to shape it and form it and make my mark on it. So as I go through these, you guys know where you land on the squares? Do you know, kind of see, well, yeah, I'm kind of like this. Do you know where your spouse is on this? The people in your life, yeah? Probably can put them. How about our country? Where would you put our country on this? Peter Thiel uh, argues that our country, since the, the early 90s, has been in the indefinite optimist. The future is going to be great. We're progressing, but we don't really have a plan uh, to make it better. We'll just print more money or something like that. So I think that St. Paul, I don't know if you were to put St. Paul on here, I'd say he'd be a definite optimist reading Romans chapter 8, right? He talks about victorious, triumphant living, and he seemed to have a plan on how to make the future a better place. And today, I hope to persuade you with his words and some of our readings for today to be definite optimists. We can be confident about the future uh, and work to make it even better by God's grace. First reason why I think this is God is working out all things for your good. That's right, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is actually my confirmation verse. And it just so happens to be in the pericope for my last Sunday here at Ascension, which I think is cool. But this verse has been very comforting to me throughout the years. And it's definitely easy to believe when things are going good, right? Yeah, God's working out all things for good. And my life is great, so woohoo, I believe this. It's not as easy to believe, though, when you're suffering or in pain or in confusion, right? To think that 
God's working out all things for good. Because in those moments of suffering and pain, you know, you can be tempted to think like, well, perhaps God is, is punishing me for my sins. Maybe God just abandoned me. Or I hear God's all-powerful and all-loving and benevolent, but why, is, why does he allow so much evil and suffering in the world? Either he doesn't love us, or he's not powerful enough to do something about it. Right? And we can get trapped into this thinking. But St. Paul is calling us back to say, no, an article of faith is this, that for those who love God, who have been loved by him and love him in return, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So whether it's feast or famine, whether it's abundance or scarcity, we know that God is working his plan and his plan is going to be good for us. And uh, a couple verses before this, St. Paul writes, we don't know uh, how to pray for like we ought to. Pray it. This is kind of playing right into this verse as well. Yes, sometimes we pray, God, please give me this good thing or something we think is good. And it, that nonetheless is going to be something that leads to our demise. Or we might be praying, God, please save me from this unpleasant thing or experience. But that unpleasant thing or experience is what you need to go through in order to increase your faith or depend more on God. We just don't know um, exactly what is good, you know, and evil, um, but God does, and he's got a plan for you. And so it doesn't matter what's going on out there in the world, whether, you know, know, it doesn't matter what the economy is doing or what war is being fought against whom or what kind of crazy stuff you're getting bombarded with in the media. It doesn't matter. Because God's got a plan, he loves you, and it's going to be for your good. So you can be a definite optimist about the future. Say, yes, it's going to be better, and here's our plan to make it even better through our acts of witness and mercy. Number two, God chose you to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers. So, God chose you before the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of his Son. So, through the process of sanctification, we are all becoming more like Jesus, more like Christ. And if that is the case, yes, the future is going to be better. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome because we're becoming more like Jesus together. I think these words are just beautiful to just meditate on for a second here. Before God created the world, he knew you. He chose you. He predestined you to believe in the Savior, Jesus, and to be redeemed, and finally one day to rise again, be restored. This is pretty cool. Now, a lot of people will split hairs on this and get really worked up about this doctrine of the faith, about predestination and and how you were chosen and elect. I recommend you don't go there and just rejoice that you have been chosen, that God does love you and has made that manifest to you and put faith in your heart. Because this is good news. Our Old Testament lesson says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So this is, you know, Israel in the Old Testament, but we, uh, by faith in the Messiah, are the new Israel. And these words are applicable to us today. You are God's treasured possession. His treasured possession. 
that's that's pretty special. Now, are you God's treasured possession because you are particularly righteous? Or because you avoid sin a little bit better than somebody else? Or because you're just genuinely a decent person, a good person? No, I should see, see some heads go like this. No, no, it's all by grace. The sheer mercy of God, his unconditional positive regard for you, his grace, his love, you have been chosen to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, to be assumed into the person of Christ through no merit or worthiness of your own, all by God's grace. Now, Jesus, in his um, parables here, in Matthew chapter 13, talks about a man who found some treasure buried in a field, and, or found it in the field, and he went and buried it and then bought this field. Sold everything he had, bought the field. Similar story, a merchant is in search of fine pearls, finds one of very great value, sells everything he has, and purchases this pearl. Some scholars will argue that what Jesus is talking about uh, is when we, um, as an individual, are searching for the kingdom of God and discover it, we sell everything that we used to have to attain it, right? To the form, your former life is gone, you assume the new life um, in Christ. And you follow him. And this, that could be true. But I think it might be more theologically accurate and consistent with the whole story of scriptures to say, well, what Jesus is talking about, he is that man in search of the treasure. He is the man in search of the fine pearl. And he traded heaven, his throne next to the father, to take on flesh, to suffer and die. And he purchased and won you with his blood. You are that treasure hidden in a field. You are that pearl of great price. Jesus bought you with his blood. So, that's pretty special. You're pretty special. Not because of anything you've done, but because of Christ and his love for you. And God, through the process of sanctification, is making you holier and more like Christ. And so, given that, yeah, the future is going to be great because we're becoming more like Jesus. So we can start making plans now to, to be a blessing to the world through our acts of mercy and witness. Thirdly, we can be definite optimists because God is for us. God is for you. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The God who created the universe out of nothing, the one who spoke it into existence, the one who said to the waters, thus far you shall come and no farther, the one who redeemed his people Israel with a mighty hand and outstretched arm with miraculous signs and wonders, the one who preserved the faithful remnant of people until the Messiah should show up, the one who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, this one is for you. God's on your team. So if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, anybody who's thought about this verse for a minute can probably think of quite a few entities that are against us. And this is true. Like the seeds of the church are, are, the, are is the blood of martyrs. You might have heard that phrase. So yeah, we do have people who are against us. 
and principalities and rulers and authorities. Plenty of stuff. But what we know from scriptures is that God promises to vanquish all of our foes eventually. That we will have the victory. That the victory is ours in Christ because he rose from the dead. And yeah, in the meantime, until he returns, we're, those entities are going to win some skirmishes. Going to win some battles. Going to cause a little chaos and death and destruction. But we need not fear because we know who wins the battle in the end. And sure, Satan might be in your ear every now and then saying, Hey, hey, you're not good enough. Yeah, God's not going to accept you. Mm-mm. His grace isn't sufficient for you. But you know what? Satan's a liar. Always has been. And will be. You can tell him to be quiet. Because <clears throat> the victory is ours in Christ. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or sword? Well, what do you think, church? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Thank you. Not, everybody now. Nothing. That's right. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And so the future is going to be great because you always have the love of Christ. And if you have the love of Christ, you need not fear anything the future holds. Because whether you live or you die, you are in Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain, St. Paul writes. We need not be afraid of the future. We can be confident and make our plans to make it even better until Christ returns, right? Through our love for our neighbor and our witness and our gospel proclamation, we can start making plans to make it a better place. So, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These words are just so beautiful. Nothing can separate you from Christ's love. And so, there are going to be some things in the future that are different, for sure, for us here at Ascension. Like, I'm not going to be around. But I know that you are in good hands. And no, I'm not talking about the two wonderful pastors you have here or the wonderful lay leadership, wise and faithful people, but I'm talking about God. You are in God's hands. He's got a plan for the future, for Essential Lutheran Church. And I know you all have been praying about that fervently, that God would reveal that plan to you. And uh, I'm sure he will. He'll reveal it. You'll make a huge difference in this community for the sake of Christ and for the gospel. So, bright future ahead. Because we have Jesus. Because we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And for two, we've been chosen to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And thirdly, God is for us. God is for us who can be against us. And to leave you, Today, I wanted to just read Ephesians 3, 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is, we're at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.